Welcome back for a week 10 recap. Oh, going in honestly looked to be a bit of a snooze fest, but I gotta admit, surprisingly one of the most exciting slates of the year. Cash lap lineups went down to the very few, uh, the last few plays of the slate. GPPs were owned by Cowboys teams if you were smart enough to fade. Dusty Tony Pollard and best ball teams, ton of movement there. As long as you had those upside wide receivers, tight ends, lots to discuss. Let's get to it right now. Welcome back to the DraftKings Football Show, hosted in partnership with our friends at DraftKings. I am your host, Justin Herzig, and we are back to recap some football. All right. Starting off, a little housekeeping. As you may have noticed, there was no Thursday podcast in your feed this week, and that's going to be the case moving forward. At the beginning of the season, you know, I was trying to think through. I was like, I thought it'd be a good idea to provide a preview for the week ahead. But to be honest, the more I did it throughout the season, the more I felt like the takes I had, the advice I was given, it would quickly become stale or it would change because so much happens between when I would record these Thursday morning and when the games actually start on Sunday. So I don't know. I kind of just like, honestly, I felt bad because the takes, they were stale. They were outdated. They were often changing. I didn't really feel like I was be able to provide that much value to you all. So we'll see as the season goes on. Maybe I'll jump back in to discuss like a specific topic. Maybe it's best ball. Maybe it's playoff best ball. Uh, but for the most part, I'm just going to be focusing on these weekly recaps. And hey, these are the ones that I've gotten the most positive feedback from all of you that you enjoy the most. So I'll stick with these and focus on. And uh, yeah, so hopefully you all continue to enjoy it. And that all said, let's get to this week's recap and cash lineup. Okay, this week came down to a few key questions for me. I kind of think there were three that were going through my head the entire time. One, CMC versus Jamar Chase. Two, do we play a tight end and a flex? Do we go with a double tight end build? And then third was Tyler Boyd or Trenton Irwin. $1,600 savings between the two. What roles can we expect? And just kind of diving into that from a projection standpoint. So I'll dive into each of these as I review my thought process for each position, but starting off. My lineup this week scored 143.38 points. I won 48% of my head-to-heads. I finished right in the cash line for most of my double-ups, and that means wasn't even full double-ups, so some of them just missed. Some of them made it just in. Some of them weren't full, full double-ups. Ended up being just about break-even on the slate with that total. Uh, all right, lineup QB Joe Burrow. Running backs, I went McCaffrey, Joe Mixon, and Bijan Robinson. Wide receivers, Marquise Brown, Tank Dell, and Trenton Irwin. Tight end, Trey McBride, and DST Dallas Cowboys. I did not make any swaps, so that was my team from the beginning to the end. All right, starting off with quarterback, considered three QBs for this slate. We had Joe Burrow at 6,800, Geno Smith at 5,800, and then a cheapie, Baker Mayfield at 5,100. Now, normally, I would never have considered Baker, but I just really didn't love either Burrow or Geno. And that $5,100 price tag, it was appealing. I mean, starting off with Burrow. So the concern for him, it really came down to his weapons. We knew T. Higgins is out. Jamar Chase was an apparent kind of 50-50, legitimate game time decision. I just didn't love kind of paying $6,800 for a QB that was possibly missing his top two weapons. We had larger macro concerns about what would happen to that offense. Maybe they just really ride on, you know, hey, Joe Mixon in the ground game. I don't know. And then, so as for Gino, the matchup was near perfect, but everything else about what we've seen out of Gino this year really scares me. 
He's barely rushing at all. And in the past, like that was a nice, you know, kind of expect around maybe 20, 20 some, maybe even 30 yards a game. But this year, he's virtually not rushing at all. He's only surpassed uh, 17 draft queen Kings points once this year. And it wouldn't be shocking if the Seahawks, I mean, they were favorites in this game. Maybe they just got it all done on the ground and they don't need to pass. And uh, that, you know, larger from an upside standpoint, like it, it all just kind of concerned me there with the Geno. And then when I looked to, okay, so if I don't love those two, is there someone that I can go even cheaper that I do like? And Baker's been really solid this year and going against that, you know, hey, you think of Tennessee as a pass funnel defense and only $5,100, that was appetizing. But the more that I actually looked into this Baker play, because I really thought that like, hey, I thought that there was a decent chance I was going to end up on this Baker play. I wasn't hearing him being talked about in the rest of the industry. Um, but like, I thought like, hey, maybe this was going to be an, an IKB and I know better. But the more I really looked into that Baker and the Titans, the Titans have actually been really good, like sneaky good against opposing QBs, despite this pass funnel narrative. Uh, and so since week four, only one quarterback has thrown for more than 200 yards against them. And that was Lamar with 223. And even more shocking, I think, they've only given up three passing touchdowns since week three. They you know, they played this bend-but-don't-break style of defense that allows a lot of receptions underneath, but minimal TDs and you know passing TDs, and they rarely get beat over the top. So that's not horrible for opposing wide receivers, and I think that's where this pass funnel narrative comes from, is like, hey, wide receivers against them are pretty solid, especially in PPR format, because they allow you these catches underneath and that bend-but-don't-break but for QBs, where a lot of the points really come from the touchdowns and uh, for getting those 300 yards and getting that bonus, just wasn't as likely against Tennessee. Um, so when I, when I think through like, okay, so I'm not going to do the Baker anymore because there was just more fragility for going against a more difficult opponent than I initially thought. And so now it's okay. Between Geno and Burrow, it, for me, it came down to Jamar Chase being active. Chase this year has been very vocal about the importance of not playing unless fully healthy. He was quoted as saying like, hey, Joe Burrow should just have sat out or should just sit out the early games until he's fully healthy. Um, and they've got a big divisional matchup on Thursday against the Ravens. So obviously, like there's no, uh, you know, they don't want to risk any additional injury here. So the fact that Chase looked really good in warmups, according to reports, we knew he was going to play. We know that like our we don't believe he would play unless he actually believes he's fully healthy. The reports on this back injury was ne- that it couldn't really get worse. There wasn't like a much of a re-injury risk or too much of a re-injury risk, but it was really a pain management kind of thing. And so all of that kind of taken into account, I felt like, you know what? He probably wasn't going to be a decoy and Burrow would be able to run this offense efficiently. And Burrows look really good since he's been healthy off this calf injury. So I went with the Burrow. I paid up there. Ended up, uh, Joe Burrow was the highest owned QB, but it was relatively flat. Joe Burrow at 23.23% scored just under 25 points. Geno Smith was at 17.5%, put up 27 points. Got some late points there um, with Geno with that late touchdown. Uh, and then after that, Jared Goff at 14% put up 24 points as well. So no one really gained too much ground at the QB position. Uh, you could gain some savings by playing the Geno or Goff. Uh, but other than if you dropped, you know, eight, the 5% of people who played Dak, well done, put up 41.86 points. Like, yeah, um, GG, good game, good job, good job. All right, um, 
Oh, and Baker. Baker was played at under 5%, 4.45%, also put up 19 points. So would have been fine because you get those additional savings. Um, but yeah, I don't think anyone really got crushed on quarterback this week. All right, moving on to running back. At running back, there were, uh, there were five running back plays, uh, running backs in play this week. So at the high end, you've got Patricia McCaffrey at 9,200. Then Tony Pollard at 7,300, Joe Mixon at 6,200, Bichon Robinson at 6,000, and Rashad White at 5,800. So one very expensive, one kind of middle, but on the higher side of Pollard. And then Mixon, Bichon, and Rashad were all very close in price. Now, I mentioned earlier that, hey, a key question in the slate for me was either CMC or Jamar Chase. And Jamar Chase was $600 cheaper. I knew pretty quickly that I'd be paying up for one of these two guys. Now, neither in a vacuum were really too expensive for what you were getting, but you were only really going to be able to play one of them. So CMC, he's got the insane record of touchdown in 16 straight games. He's probably the highest floor play in the game right now. And it was a fine matchup against Jacksonville. Um, so like we know what we're getting out of CMC. We know what that upside is. On the other end was Jumar Chase, who if he was completely healthy, he probably would have been an absolute lock. And you just build around him in your cash lineups here. Likely would have been projected for, you know, Maybe one of the top projections that we've seen this year, but with the injury projections, you know, hey, we're dinging him two to three points, and he was still looking like a really solid play. So I eventually though decided that even if there was just like a ten percent chance of being a decoy or increase that re-injury risk, and because I'm going to be playing Burrow, like it just wasn't worth it in cash for me when comparing to that kind of safety upside scenario of McCaffrey. So I played McCaffrey, actually ended up playing a Burrow Chase in tournaments. That felt like the better move here. But for cash, played CMC. For my second running back, uh, Joe Mixon was a near lock given the matchup, the expected volume, the increased expected work given, hey, Higgins is out, Chase is injured, and his price tag at you know, $6,200 was just pretty affordable for what we were getting out of him. That leaves me with two running backs in the slate and uh, – what to do after that was kind of up in the air because of this. You know, most most weeks this year, we've really been playing three running backs, and that means running back in the flex. But this week, I would not have been. You no, know, I I strongly considered and almost ended up with a tight end in that flex spot instead. So when I'm kind of assessing, it's not just a hey, who is the best running back play out of the third, but it's kind of like okay, who are the best that I, who's the best, and then comparing to a tight end position. While also kind of thankfully, because these prices for these three guys, um, we're all relatively close. You'll see, I pretty, I ruled out Tony Pollard pretty quickly. Um, but for the most part, like Rashad Wright and Bijan Robinson were right there, $200 apart. Aaron Jones was well, if you were considering that. Um, okay, but for me, uh, Rashad White had a very difficult matchup against the Titans. Like, although, yes, he has done most of his damage in the air. Bijan still has to worry about Arthur Smith, Tyler Algier, and then Tony Pollard. I mean, he probably should have been one of the running backs that's most likely to get a touchdown, given what the Cowboys were double-digit favorites. They'd be in positive field position the entire – positive field position and game script all game. Buddy's Tony Pollard and Tony Pollard is dust. And I don't know how many times we are going to have to – make this decision where the projections and where the role and everything says that Tony Pollard should be a good play, but we need to trust our eyes and just accept that Tony Pollard, for whatever reason, has gone over the 26, the coming off the injury, the way the scheme is happening. Like it just doesn't matter anymore. He doesn't have it. 
and that was you know watching the game and you look up and you see like when a running back is getting burst and actually like making plays and then you're like oh that's number 23 Rico Dowdle not number 20 Tony Pollard I don't know what happened but whatever it is like we need it we need to account we need to accept it we need to move on and uh Tony Pollard I'm sorry but R.I.P. Okay, so without Tony Pollard in my decision process, it's now between Bijan, Rashad White, or going with one of the tight ends. And so I ended up strongly considering only playing the, the two RBs. The projections, especially from ETR, really liked the double tight end because it was very very um, strong favoring Evan Ingram, but I eventually settled on Bijan. I think this was an example where it was really important to kind of trust the projection, trust the projections for Bijan and not double count. And what I mean by that is when building teams with projections, we often are also like use our own opinions on a player in a situation. And that's fine. But the issue is when we are starting double counting positives or negatives. And so like for the Bijan situation, yes, we're all concerned about the low red zone usage. We know that Tyler Algier is continuing to steal work and touches. We know that Arthur Smith is can absolutely screw up the whole situation, not use him properly, and it can just be a dumpster fire for Bijan. We get that. But all of that is included in the projections. So when the projections still look solid, despite accounting for all those negatives, we don't want to now mentally ding that player again on top because the reasons why I'd be dinging him and not wanting to play him are already baked in. And I think this is a common challenging thing to deal with. And it's both in the negative and the positive um, way where, hey, we have these narratives in our mind and we have these things that we've seen in the game that we want to kind of trust our gut on these, but then we need to remember that, hey, I mean, as long as you're trusting your projections and like, you know, you know, hey, hey, this team, I trust that they're creating good projections. They're going to account for the Tyler Algier or the red zone usage and all that then we need to make sure that we don't get the double count. So I played Bijan, albeit tentatively, but because I felt the projections were strong and he had outs to substantially beat those projections of something like, hey, maybe Arthur Smith changes his mind and his usage actually changed. Or we know that Bijan is a really fantastic talent. There's a reason he was drafted so high. And maybe he hits the high end of his efficiency given his talent and has a breakout play. So now I like the projection. I can still tell myself a story that maybe actually the projection is light because something changes on that side of things. Um, and that's where I made a Bijan a priority over tight end when I was assessing the kind of double tight end situation as well. Looking at the ownership and such, so Joe Mixon was drafted, was on 50% of teams, put up 12 and a half points, really got bailed out with that late, late touchdown. Uh, Tony Pollard was the second highest owned running back on the slate at 27.67%, put up five and a half points. Yeah, I'm, I'm not even going to go into it anymore. Just gosh, Tony Pollard, it's it's horrible. All right, next was about the same ownership percentage, just to, just under 27%. Rashad White put up 17.8, had a really impressive reception for a touchdown down the sideline. Um, Christian McCaffrey, also right around there at 26%, put up 20.2 points. That's 20.2 points without getting any touchdowns or hitting the bonus. That's kind of like the floor gain that we can expect from Christian McCaffrey. Pretty crazy. Um, and then Bijan was right behind there at 24% ownership and 17.6 points. No one else was above uh, 14%. So those were really the five running backs that majority of people were considering playing. All right, moving on to wide receiver. So 
I started pretty clearly set on both Marquise Brown and Tank Dell at $5,200 and $5,500, respectively. Hollywood, price as if either Clayton Toon you know, was still his quarterback rather than Kyler. He was the best points per dollar value wide receiver on the slate. Similar kind of Tank Dell was also kind of an easy lock for me, given, hey, his usage, the game environment, Nico Collins not playing. And yeah, in that $5,000 range, both of these really felt substantially underpriced. So started with those two, never really wavered off of them. From there, you know, what's the third wide receiver? Um, if you were looking from like a value standpoint and upside, like Amon Ra was really popping. But for me, you know, I never really considered Amon Ra because if I was going to consider paying up for him, I would have just paid that extra $300 for Jamar Chase. And so we'll you'll see like Amon Ra ended up being the highest owned player on this, not highest owned wide receiver on the slate at 45% drafted. Um, and hey, had a huge game. But for me, never really considered it because once I was going to pay up for that spot, it was going to be CMC or Jamar Chase. Went with the CMC side of thing. And um, yeah, so like I think thinking through like Amon Ra, we know he's a stud, but he just doesn't have that touchdown equity that I want in a wide receiver at that price, given how much Detroit really is running in that red zone. Obviously, this game was a complete shootout, and he hit kind of his uh, you know near ceiling outcome. Um, but I, I still think it was a decent process to kind of hey limit my elite play to either CMC or Chase. Now, given the pricing, I was obviously in the market for a cheaper wide receiver as my third one. So I was between Tyler Boyd and Trent Irwin, both guys who we expected to really see increased usage with Higgins out and Chase questionable. Uh, Boyd was obviously kind of the safer, the more sure thing. We knew he'd be running routes, but he was also $1,600 more than Irwin. And for me, though, when I'm thinking about Irwin, like, hey, we got a small sample size, but in week five, when T. Higgins was out, Trent and Irwin ran a route on 82% of Burrow's dropbacks, earned a 23% target share. Obviously a small sample size, but hey, given not too long ago, I think it's still a good indication of kind of how this team sees their wide receivers, the situational roles, and what to really we could kind of expect today. Now, that $1,600 savings was also big. That was allowed me to go from a tight end to flex, which would have probably been Evan Ingram, up to Bijan. And I felt that was worth the risk of dropping from Boyd Darwin. If we look at the wide receivers, so as I mentioned, Amon Ra was the highest drafted at 45%. Tank Dell was just after him at 39%. Had a pretty solid day. Was clear number one wide receiver that offense. Yes, I know Noah Brown had the more receiving yards, but Noah Brown really is just kind of a deep, kind of like just kind of throw him, throw him deep. And it was just crazy how wide open he was so much of the day. But like this could have been a lot bigger day for Tank Dell. Uh, third was DeAndre Hopkins at 29%, only put up 5.7 points. Didn't really consider him cash, although he ended up in a bunch of my GPP lineups. So like maybe I should have, I don't know. But yeah, it just probably the pricing. I think he was 6,000 off the top of my head, which was just above what we were looking at for the Tank Dell and Marquise. And I thought those were better plays uh, plus the savings. Marquise Brown, 27%. Trent Irwin at 25%. Tyler Boyd just below him at 20%. Um, and it turns out, if you're curious, Jamar Chase ended up being played by 10% of people. He put up 26.4. Uh, I think that makes sense. And I think a lot of people probably had the same level of concern that I did. And I think, honestly, 
most of those who were considering the Jamar Chase probably just ended up going directly to Amon Ra because you already have a lineup that you like. You've been spending the week kind of building your shell. You were thinking through like, hey, what's a good lineup? Maybe it's Friday, Saturday, whatever it is. And then you're like, okay, oh, I'm concerned about Jamar Chase. You get that report in the morning that he's 50-50, so you kind of want to get off of him. And then you're like, you know what? The easiest thing is, let me just drop down $300 to Amon Ra and uh, maybe then hold on to that 300 for something else. Maybe you have a small like QB change. Maybe you went from um, Gino to, I'm trying to think who was right. I know Brock Purdy was near him, Goff were near him. I don't know. So who knows? But uh, yes, only 10% for Jamar Chase. Okay, now for the tight end situation. So the two tight ends that I was considering were the two clear best values in my mind of Trey McBride and Evan Ingram. For Trey McBride, hey, since Zach Ertz has gone down in those last two games, Trey McBride has had a 40% and 28% target share. And yes, like there's risk that, hey, this is Kyler's first game. Maybe Kyler won't throw to McBride as much. Kyler, last year, near the end of the year, after Ertz wasn't playing, like, Kyler didn't really use Zach, Mc, or Zach McBride, didn't really use Trey McBride that much. But we do know that Kyler does love throwing to his tight ends. Earlier in the year, Kyler was throwing to um, Kyler was throwing to Zach Ertz pretty heavily. So there was still kind of some encouragement as well. That system encourages the usage of that tight end. And at $3,500, that felt like a really strong play. The other was Evan Ingram. And Evan Ingram is interesting because, like, yes, the Jags have a very difficult matchup. And tight ends have a pretty difficult matchup against the 49ers with their really strong linebackers. But when we think of Evan Ingram, he's got one of the lowest average depth of targets of any tight end on a year. And we can expect that they would use him underneath and get those easy completions because a combination of like, that's what San Francisco gives you. They give you those underneath short completions. And that's where Evan Ingram does the majority of his work is close to the line of scrimmage. So it made sense that like his projection was so strong because you know, having a day where it's something like, hey, four for 40, or, you know, maybe, you know, five, five for 45, something like that, like that gets you very much to, okay, I get why he's projected where he is. The challenge is I thought this projection was valid. It, you know, it was rather limited upside given the object of the target of him and the opponent there. So when I was looking at like, hey, who do I potentially want to get off of? I was far more willing to kind of get off of an Ingram than Trey McBride. From an ownership, I think a lot of people really agreed of just like, hey, let's pay down $3,500, get McBride. 43% of the field played him, and he had a phenomenal day, surpassed 100 yards, had a really big late catch, put up 24 points. Uh, other elsewhere, you got Dalton Schultz at 16%, Sam Laporta at 10 Evan Ingram at 8 and then down from there. Okay, and ending with DST. I did something I rarely do, as you probably noticed, but I made it a priority to get up to the Cowboys DST. This was a combination of I didn't really love any cheap option that was available. And the Cowboys, I mean, you're going against Tommy DeVito. You're getting your 17 and a half point favorites. Going against a team that gives up the most sacks in the league. This just felt like the perfect recipe for a DST. I would not have been shocked if this would have been a shutout, you know, had defensive touchdowns, anything really could have happened here. So happily, I paid up for that Cowboys defense. If you needed to pay down, if you want to pay down, I think the Cardinals were probably the play at 2,500 going against Taylor Heineke and the Falcons. And uh, that's what ended up happening. Cowboys were the most drafted or you know, most played at 
and Cardinals were second at just under 20%. Now, Cowboys only put up eight fantasy points. Feels like that uh, is the, the low end of the potential outcomes here. Pretty you know, surprising. I know the, the Giants got some late um, some late points there, but honestly would have expected a few more sacks um, and maybe some turnovers there as well. All right, so to re- recap, my team scored 143.38. It won 48% of my head-to-heads, finished right on the cash line for most double-up tourneys for partial caches. And uh, you can, I mean, you can look at the $5 single entry double up. You see the cash line was exactly my lineup. Oh, I think it was 143.38. And then for the $5 multi-entry, it was four points higher at 147.12. Okay. Well, hope you all had a strong weekend. Only four more weeks until the best ball playoffs start. Still lots of time to make late pushes for your team. Regular season of fantasy, probably around that same time. DFS, we know we're going to continue to go oh, into the playoffs and all, so it should be fun. We are still just in the thick of things. Hope you all have had a great week. And, and uh, yeah, hope hope the week starts off well for each of you. I'll see all of you next Monday as we recap another one. And uh, have a great week. I'll talk to you all later.